speaking to some of the first Muslim background believers that I'd ever met uh, up in Kashmir, on the back of a car, talking, and they were talking about the threat in their village. And I remember opening up the Bible and reading this verse to them and saying, be encouraged, brother. And it, it sounded good, but it also sounded really hollow. I was new there, and I was still learning the depth of what this meant. And it was interesting because those words did ring hollow in me, and it began a journey of discovery for me. It began of asking, Lord, will the day come, will the day come when I can look a brother or sister in the eye in the persecuted church and lovingly say these words, and say them with a loving authority, not authority of my own, not because I've earned my stripes, but with a deep-centered deep centered confidence of the importance of this teaching, and that A, I am with you in this. Second, the church is with you in this. Third, there is reward and blessing in this. And I began a journey of my, of my own of asking that question, what, what is this? What is this persecution? Why is it important? Lord, why would you allow it? Over and over again, we see Jesus preparing us for it. I'm sending you like sheep among the wolves. We see that in Luke. We see that when he's preparing his disciples. And so the question comes to us, how and why and what's going on here? In my journey to understand that, I feel like a couple of things happen, and so I'm going to be pretty candid here and walk you through this. I would say that at age 25, when we were in the, the villages and doing the work we were doing, we were pretty young in our discipleship journey. We had seminary training. We have been commissioned and sent out by our church. We had a lot of head knowledge. We memorized scripture. But there was still a deepening and a maturing in the walking with Christ and of hearing Christ, learning to listen and learning how to walk in the Holy Spirit. You can speak of this in different ways. You can talk about a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can talk about a, a, a blossoming of gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can talk about it in many different ways according to Scripture. But for us, it was a discipleship journey into ministering through the Holy Spirit. And I feel like without that, this conversation of persecution would never have become real in my life. The, the humble authority of walking with brothers and sisters would never have made sense. Now, I didn't know so much about that at the time. It was a journey of learning for me. But as I've gone back and looked at even some of my seminary textbooks, and I'm thinking of a Baylor professor at this moment, Charles Talbert, who was here for many years, a great scholar of the Book of Romans. In his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you don't understand, if you don't understand that Jesus was promising the Holy Spirit that would come in to enliven and empower and guide his disciples, 
then nothing in the Sermon on the Mount will make any sense to you. It, it's irrational. Yes. It's bad philosophy. Hmm. But if the promise is true that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will work through you and will lead you through these storms and will bring you out on the other side into a life eternal with Christ, then it does make sense. That opens some doors for me. That opens some doors for me to understand. Because when I started realizing that if in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm being trained to live a life that is sold out for Christ, that is not dependent on whether I'm in India or Pakistan or Waco, Texas, then things change. Let me see if I can think through this with you for a second. When I read this, blessed is the poor in spirit, I see that recognition that I need a savior. I'm in desperate need. Let me point this out for a second though, because in the teachings of Jesus Christ, there's never going to be this progression where as I climb the ladder to maturity, I can forget the things that were behind me. It's more like the hokey pokey. Has anybody ever done the hokey pokey here before? I love the hokey pokey. You, you don't stop doing it. You keep doing it. In each of these teachings of the Beatitude, you're adding something even as you continue. So we're never going to move beyond being poor in spirit. And we're never going to move beyond being heirs in the kingdom of God. We're never going to mourn. We're never going to stop mourning for the sin of the world and for the loss and the pain and the suffering. But daily, even as I'm reminded of my poverty, my need for the Lord, I enter into intercession for those who are mourning, those who are suffering in the church around me and in the world around me. Blessed are the meek. I seek training. When I think of meek, I think of someone who's being equipped and trained. Not meek as in quiet and mousy, but rather strong and equipped. Moving forward, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In this training school of Jesus, as I'm daily moving forward, he's equipping me in righteousness, and I'm hungering for more and more of the things of God. As these things become central to me and to what I want in life, as these become central to my life in ministry, right, as my priorities become shaped through this discipleship school of Jesus, then entering into situations where persecution must come is no longer a surprise. I know what I'm getting into. In fact, I'm willingly wading into it and seeking it. I am following him to where he will lead me, knowing that it will be dangerous because that is the school of discipleship. As we continue in this progression, he shows me his mercy, and I extend mercy even to those who are going to be unkind to me. He will bless me with a purity of heart to where I see God at work in every situation, good or bad, mm. sickness or health, poverty or wealth. I see him right there at work. And he blesses me to be a peacemaker, right? One who brings about reconciliation one who acts in the same way that my father does as a child of God. And then I come into persecution. 
I think it's really interesting that he brings his persecution twice. I've read a lot of just different opinions on what's going on there. They're all good. What I found really teaches uh, well in the persecuted church is to say, yes, persecution is going to happen. We know that. It's coming. We're living it. But let's think about this for a moment. First one, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There is a severe lack of righteousness all over the world, even in America. There is corruption. There's all kinds of just terrible behavior everywhere. Where I was living, corruption was rampant. You couldn't buy anything without a bribe. There was just injustice at every level, extortion. So we started saying, what if you, because of your faith in Christ, I'm not asking you to even mention the name of Jesus right now, because I know it's dangerous for you. What if you made a moral decision? What if you decided to not do something because of your faith in Christ? Would you be persecuted? No, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you that question. Have you ever been confronted with the situation where you had to go left or go right, so to speak? You had to do something or not do something? Because of your faith in Christ, you faced a, faced a pushback. Can you think of something like that? School and work. It can be as simple as someone offering you something to drink or smoke or do that you knew the group would want you to do, but you said no because of something in your heart. Or maybe it was some form of cheating or lying or stealing, a simple thing like that. For most people in the persecuted church globally, where corruption is a standard part of life, behavior like that becomes part of your testimony in a very obvious way with very obvious consequences. So it's an interesting thing to do because I always read this verse also as saying, wow, you know, uh, you're going to be persecuted for standing up and shouting the name of Jesus, oh believer in the hidden church, right? But sometimes it's much more subtle than that. It's much more subtle. It's, it's in your eating and in your drinking. It's in your, your behavior on the bus. It's on the, the small decisions that you do day in and day out for which you will also be persecuted for. Because if you stand, as I used to say, even if you don't even open your mouth and mention the name of Jesus, if you behave this way, if you follow the way of Jesus in your behavior, you will be persecuted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's as true for Waco, Texas as is for Pakistan. If you stand for principles, for things that you hold dearly according to Scripture, you will face troubles. They are coming. No doubt about it. I think identifying those, and that's part of what we're doing here, is starting to think that way. Where is it coming? Because if I've thought through it, I might be better prepared. And with prayer and strength and fellowship, that maybe I'll be found faithful as I walk through that. Mm. So that's the first part. Before we even get to proclaiming the name of Jesus, as someone who lives in a village, in a community, in an office space, people are watching you day and night, and they're observing how you do things. And persecution can come from that. But then Jesus goes on. It's almost like he's emphasizing the second point. No, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you, 
because of me. Now he's come into association. Now you're being persecuted. That means they're, they're coming after you because of your association with Jesus Christ. So I think differentiating those is important. And I found that very helpful for believers. Because here's the situation, friends. When we're talking about the persecuted church, it's hard for us to enter into that mindset. Mm -hmm. we, we automatically think of violence, don't we, in danger. Well, let me tell you, the only time I've had a gun pointed in my face in a threatening way to kill me was on 15th Street in Waco, Texas. It wasn't in Afghanistan. It wasn't in Iraq. It wasn't in Kashmir. It wasn't in India. It, I mean, just go down, it wasn't in Los Angeles. I mean, just go down the list of all the scary places in the world. Some reason in God's love for me and His training for me and my personal journey, there was a really scary incident right here in Waco, Texas. So as one who looks to my teacher, my Lord Jesus Christ, I understand that that scary circumstance was for my benefit. And I'm thankful that He spared me. But in that circumstance, He was also equipping me and training me for my journey of faith. We automatically think of violence in the persecuted church, but we have to enter into the mindset. Think of this, for example. What's something you'd be really embarrassed to carry with you into the office? Let's say you walk in and somebody happened to open your briefcase and like, oh, oh my goodness, I can't believe. I mean, is it maybe a bottle of something or... Uh, 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 something that you'd smoke or uh, an adult magazine or book. I mean, open it up and oh, you'd be shocked or so embarrassed. You're like, oh, think about it. That is the experience that many Christians around the world, especially if you're coming out of something like Islam or Hinduism, that is what they feel and what they've experienced when their colleagues open their bags and find a Bible. A Bible. Exactly. Especially if they're a new believer or a seeker, they're on their journey to faith. Being caught with a Bible is scary. It is scary. It is not something that, that you're ready to have happened. It's going to force conversation. It can force all kinds of things in your home and your life. It is scary. We have to enter into what's going on there. Conversations. Let's say uh, you're a Christian. And is it Ben? So Ben comes over to uh, it's a Yakub's house and is visiting with him. All through that time, Yakub is sitting there thinking, "Will my parents, after this, come to me and question me that I am somehow a Christian, or how has Ben influencing me?" So this whole fear element becomes magnified in small, small ways, but in ways that you and I really don't think about. So before we jump to the violence, there's all these small but very real micro-experiences, but very powerful experiences of fear and of the, the sense of being isolated, unknown, um, and, and not knowing what will happen if I do lose my family. you got to remember, most places in the world do not have a a social security system. There's nobody there to catch you. There's no government pension for you. There's no great job market for you. 
One of our dear brothers here at Highland, I don't know if you know him or not, he goes by the name Sinny. Uh, Sinny was a college student in Delhi. And um, over and over again, I think four different times, he kept having a, a breakdown or a car breakdown or something right in front of this church. He was a Muslim. He'd never been in church in his life. But it kept happening in this place lodged in his mind. He went in there, and through a gradual process of eight or nine months, he began reading the Bible and was convinced, convinced of his truth, prayed, received Christ in his life, and knew that that was God's calling upon his life. He knew the consequences, went home, spoke to his family. They tried to kill him. He could not come home anymore. They disowned him. He was no longer our son. I've known him for, I guess, 28 years. His father still will not talk to him. His son is dead to his parents. That's what we're talking about, you see, persecution. That's the loss and the threat. And then as a young man, where does he go? What does he do? He ends up at a discipleship training school. Grows, thrives, does well. That's a new life. It's a new name. It's a new identity. The old has been cut. And I've seen that story repeated over and over and over and over. Cindy and Lisa uh, come back here once a year. They have a beautiful family. I hope you get to know them. They love this church. They pray for you. I know some of you pray for them as well. Well, what does this mean for you and me and, and the responsibility we carry in walking with brothers and sisters like that into the persecuted church? If we know that's what the consequence is for them, and if we know there might be danger for ourselves and for others involved in proclaiming the gospel of this situation or in daring to enter into them, what should be our way of thinking about this? How should, in our mind, how do we rationalize, how do we grapple with the consequences of this? Again, I think Jesus wants to instruct us. He wants to give us a sense of what is bigger than what we're facing right now. understand, I think, the spirits of the persecuted church, we become so frozen in the moment of pain that we forget the bigger picture. It'd be like a mother having a baby, and I got to be there with Brooke and having all five of them, so I have a little bit of a glimpse as an observer of what we're talking about here. It'd be like saying, the birth of this baby is going to be so painful for you, so scary for you, that you should probably just not even go there. We should just not even do this. Does that sound like a good idea? No. Well, that's what I think about when people say we shouldn't go proclaim the gospel in dangerous places because it's, it's just not worth it. It's definitely worth it. But you've got to pull back and see the bigger picture. We've got to pull back and see the bigger picture. One thing that really helped me stay with that birth uh, analogy is somehow God made women, and I don't know this for a fact, but I've read about it and Brooke has told me about it, 
that in the weeks afterwards, there's a chemical change in your mind to where a lot of the pain you went through somehow is forgotten. Is that true? Can, can somebody confirm that? Okay. Yeah, amen. So God is so good that he meets us in those moments of trial, tribulation, and difficulty. And he's good enough to redeem those moments to where we want to keep going and maybe even have another child. I think something like that happens to our brothers and sisters when they go through difficulty. And I know that was my experience as well. Have you ever thought about the story of Daniel and the lion's den? Or about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire? We're tempted to say, if God were good, he wouldn't have let them be in the fire. That's where my brain goes. Isn't it? God, where were you? Why, why are they in the fire? The persecuted church cries out to you and me and says, as someone who's in the fire and who's been given a grace to go into the fire and to come through this, I want to speak to you, oh brothers and sisters in Christ, who are not in the fire yet, who haven't been there, and I want to say that it's okay in here. A grace has been poured out to me as one who is going through the fire that is something that I will accept as a gift from the Lord. When I'm outside and talking about things like this, I sound like a guy who's talking about women having babies, right? You're thinking, God, you don't know anything. You're so out of it. As someone who got to walk with Brooke, I'll tell you, I have a little bit of a sense. And as a guy who got to walk with persecuted believers for about 20 years, I want to say I know a little bit about this. When I think of the persecuted church now, I don't sit there and say, you poor guys. I do pray for them and I do intercede for them, but I do that knowing that there is a grace imparted to them as they endure that, that is a reward into itself. There is a grace, there is a peace, there is a joy, there is an intimacy with Christ imparted to those who are suffering right, with Christ as they are going through this, that is a precious, precious value. And that is not something that they would want to exchange, per se. Asking those three that came out of the fire, what would they say? Ask Daniel coming out of the lion's den. What does he say? So we can think about it from the perspective of those who are going through the suffering. I pray for them, but you know who I suffer more for and who I, I really carry a heavier burden for? The families of those who are close by and watching. It's Because the grace, it's interesting to think about it. The grace is often imparted to those who are in the suffering. Those of us who are near to it and are watching, we have a different kind of grace. And we're the ones often carrying the fear and the worry and the pain. I got to go back a couple years ago and visit the son of a dear friend of mine who was martyred. Those of you who heard me speak during our earlier time of persecution, he was one of my closest friends. His name was Yusuf. And for seven years, we pastored a church together. He baptized my son. I baptized his daughter. Very, very dear friends of ours. 
that church experienced persecution. When I say persecution, I like to think of the etymology of the word. Perse is really the idea of coming behind you. In our situation, someone who pretended to be a believer, either had a change of mind or a change of heart, went back to a militant group at a mosque and told them, gave them as many phone numbers and accompanied them to homes, going to individual homes and ambushing believers, waiting for them there, telling the entire village, bringing them out, having a mock trial, saying, this person of yours, this son of yours, has betrayed all of us and become a Christian. They were taken to that headquarters. Some were held for a week at a time. Some were held for three weeks at a time. There was all kinds of beatings, all kinds of attempts at brainwashing. It was a terrible, terrifying experience for everyone involved. Some of us made it through that without experiencing violence on ourselves. I wasn't hurt. Yusuf wasn't hurt in that though threatened. But about a year later, they did find Yusuf, and they came to his home, and they executed him right outside of his house. And that was one of the worst days of my life. Yeah, my kids uh, will, will always remember that day. We will always remember that day. I got to go sit with his son, And his son is trying to make sense of that as he grapples with what does a faith in Christ mean for me in this circumstance and in this place. When I listen to his voice and when I think of the experience of those in that church, in our church, Yes, it makes me very sad. But it also takes me into the company of Jesus and of his disciples. And it takes me into the company and the experience of believers all over the world. And yes, there is discrimination everywhere. But persecution took on a different meaning to me because it's a targeting. It's a going after. It's a pulling you out because of your faith in Jesus Christ. At once communal, because the whole community is involved, but at the same time personal, because it's saying, you, 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 what do you stand for? What do you say about Jesus? When I think about that, I feel like it takes me into a deeper sense of what does it mean to be church together? And living here in the States these past five years, I feel like I need this. I need to remember what it means to be church to other people. What it means to be family to other people. For those of us who have wealth and who live here, we, can all, we quickly go to guilt. Oh man, I feel bad that I have it so good and they have it so tough. So I spend time thinking about that. I don't think that's the only way to think about that. I don't think that's a good way to think about it. 
I like to think about it from the experience of being family. I like to think about my family who live in different parts of the world. It's a big family. It's a beautiful family. It's a very diverse family. It's a family that I want to know. It's a family that I want to uh, hear their stories and tell their stories. I want to celebrate with them. I want to suffer with them. I want to know what they're up to. I want to be a part of what they're doing. I want to stay in touch. They're really, really interesting. And every time I get to go and spend time with them, it is so life-giving. I have to keep reminding myself of that because of the life I live here and the bombardment I have with news and media and movies. It's just so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming that sometimes I forget my big, beautiful family and what's going on in their life. And I've noticed that when I forget about them and when I take some steps back and into my own world, my anxiety increases, my faith decreases, I kind of go into this shell self-protection, taking care of me. But the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ is that when I call on his name and I pray, and I lift my head up and I remember that I'm part of this amazing, big, beautiful, global family that is rich with purpose, that is being trained, called into action. And when I step out and I meet some of these brothers and sisters in Christ, my faith just blossoms. My, my care for the things of the world fades and my passion for Jesus and his purposes just rise. It's amazing the combination, right, of when we are operating in family and when we are isolated and alone. Jesus never intended us go through discrimination and persecution alone in our own power. Never. He always intended us to be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in community, right? And making great decisions together to grow that kingdom. And when we're operating in that sphere, then those difficult times become actually some of our best, best memories. I've got so many stories to tell you. I can tell you of nights when we were laying down on the ground, because our church service usually went from Friday night at around 10 p.m. to Saturday morning around 3.30 a.m. And sometimes in those nights, there would be gunfire in the village. There would be rocket streams going off. And uh, we would be lifting up the name of Jesus. Sometimes we'd be laying down because we didn't want any like that. But we'd be praying and we'd be interceding for everybody involved. We would sometimes laugh at how bad the food was and somewhere time around 3.34 in the morning fall asleep and then around 9.30, 10 a.m. wake up, have a cup of tea and have discipleship training. It was fun. It was scary. It was meaningful. None of us would trade it and we would each leave there and go back to our homes, back to our families, carrying 
that commissioning, that faith, that desire to make a difference in the things that we would do and not do, and what we would say, and how we would creatively find ways to inject the name of Jesus and the word of Jesus into an area where that was not to be done. It was subversive. It was fun. And I think Jesus' disciples got that too. And that's part of the thrill of being part of, of being who we are. So a couple of things, and then our time is going quickly. Living in a place like, uh, like we did, I became keenly aware that yes, Christians are often discriminated against and persecuted, but you know what? Other people are too. Other people are too. In Pakistan, we had Hindu friends who were persecuted. We had Baha'i friends who were persecuted. When we were in India, we had Muslim friends that were persecuted. Last year, through the blessing of this church, I got to go to Afghanistan back in May, and I spent time with Shiite Muslims who were being persecuted. So it's fascinating we start thinking about the role that we have, right? In witness, yes, but even in advocacy and care for others around us. When we start thinking about what America is going to face and what the church will face here, we need to be mindful that other people are going to suffer from the same thing. The same laws, the same attitudes, the same issues that are going to come against us are going to come against other religious communities as well. So one thing that I've been disciplining myself to do is that when I'm praying, for the persecuted, I want to remember at that same time that there are other people being persecuted too. And I've found that as I do that, I pray for them. And that again, it's going to spur me to witness to them and to love and to bless them. But 